Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode number 142 of Sports Cards Live. It is Tuesday night, May the 31st, 2022. My name is Jeremy Lee. I do want to thank Spinatron for joining the show this past Saturday. It was another great episode with great feedback from all of you. So thanks to him and for everybody for watching and being engaged in the chat. We had a great show. want to let you all know as a reminder, no episode this Saturday. I will be at the Sport Card Expo in Toronto but I will be back the Tuesday after a week today for episode two of the Tag Grading Company Reveal Series. I want to shout out the Center Stage app. Download their app for quick comps, whether you are strolling through card shows or pricing your cards. If you are a vendor, the app is continuously improving. So join me in supporting these hobbypreneurs as they endeavor to make the hobby better than it already is. And I'd also like to, again, introduce a new channel supporter, Pristine Auction, pristineauction.com is one of the most trusted sport memorabilia and collectibles auction sites. Auctions on pristineauction.com started just $1, and each day there are thousands of autographed items available. They also sell thousands of sports cards, starting with no reserves in their weekly sports card auction that runs Sunday to Sunday. It has everything from vintage to ultra-modern, including raw and graded singles and wax. Head over to pristineauction.com, use code SCL, and when you sign up and get $10 off your first purchase. I want to thank all of you subscribers, all you viewers, all the podcast listeners. If you're not yet subscribed to the channel, please take a moment and go ahead and do so. Let's get to tonight's guest. He started in the hobby in 1951, opening packs of baseball cards on the street curb at the age of five. He's collected his whole life and he started TAG in February 2012. He has spent the last 10 years developing the system and building his team, who we will also meet throughout these five episodes. His favorite athlete is Sandy Koufax, and his favorite teams are the Nebraska Cornhuskers and the L.A. Dodgers. While he spent his earliest years in Los Angeles, he spent his teenage years in Newark, New Jersey, and currently hails from Los Angeles, California. Let's bring him out, Steve Cass. Welcome to Sports Cards Live. How are you? I'm great, Jeremy. Thank you for that kind introduction. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. Let me just say to everybody out there, go big red. I am a Cornhuskers fan. Um I wanted to, if I could take a minute to uh, thank all of the uh, co-founders. Uh, while I'm in front of the camera right now, there's a lot of people that have put me here. Uh, hard work and commitment to the company. And also to the employees, they, that, that same commitment runs throughout our company. And uh, without the work that the employees do, I wouldn't be here either. So uh, thanks to those people. And thank you, Jeremy. Uh, you know, it's been almost a year now since I met you. and. Uh, uh, it's an ever-growing relationship and a, um, uh, a relationship that, for me, uh, continues to give me an insight into you with a lot of respect and admiration. I appreciate more than ever the chance to reveal our company on your site. Thank you. Ah, thank you. I appreciate those kind words. It's been an, it's been a real pleasure getting to know you and the team as well. Let's uh, well. Why don't we talk about that? How did we come together, and why are why are we, and why did you decide to do these uh, these five reveal episodes on on Sports Cards Live with myself and the Sports Cards Live community? 
in uh, last year at the national convention in July, um, our team went to Chicago. And unlike other conventions that I've been to, which were many, this one I went with the specific purpose of meeting identified individuals, people that we identified as being important to our business. And uh, at that time in July, we knew that we were within six, 10, 12 months of launching the company and we wanted to reach out to some people. So we put a booklet together of 24 people, their background information, why they were in the book and you were there. And um, uh, we saw you, uh, you were sitting on a stool, you were surrounded by people. Uh, it was difficult to get up to you. And I got up to you and I kind of leaned over uh, between the people that were there and whispered to you that I had something that was really important to me to talk to you about. Was there a way we could do it more privately? And you shortly got up and stepped aside and, and we went into a different area of your uh, booth there. And uh, we showed you a video of what we were doing and we showed you uh, um, uh, parts of the study that we had done and told you about it. And ever since then, you and I have remained in contact. Uh, in March, I think it was of this year, uh, you said to me on a phone call, um, I'd really like to come down to LA and see for myself what, what we've been talking about, and what I've seen on video. And you came down here, I think we spent three days together, as I recall, from the afternoon of, let's say, uh, a Wednesday until Friday. Or Saturday, I think you might have stayed until. And um, we had a great time, a lot of conversation. And um, you met the entire management team. And from there, uh, it evolved into our having a conversation about would we uh, consider doing our reveal on your show? And, and of course, we were um, thrilled to have that opportunity. So I've, I've been to the office. I've, I've been where you're sitting, but I have to admit, I don't, I can't picture in my head where exactly you are. Are you in the, are you, this is the office. Whereabouts are you uh, sitting right now? Yes, I'm in the office. It has changed slightly since you were here. I'm actually in the lobby. The front doors are about, uh, I don't know, 20 feet uh, from where I'm sitting. And then um, the suite goes, uh, wraps around. And uh, what's, Throughout the suite are the the components of the grading business, the grading process. As a matter of fact, if you hear a little background noise while we're on, um, I've asked people to run it as quietly as possible. But we are likely to have some machinery running right now as we're doing some grading. Uh, so I'm in the lobby, and and I don't know if this if this tag sign was up when you were here, and it may have been slightly different without the black wall. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, I, I read there was something that I did see. It's uh. I was very impressed by the office, the facility. You guys have uh, thought of every detail. I, I was very impressed. Uh, I can't even, I can't overstate that, uh, how impressed I was with everything at, at the office, at the facility, and with, with the whole team. Let's get into you a little bit. This is Meet the Founder. This is episode one of a five-episode reveal series. So to the audience, I want to let you all know that, you know, usually it's your comments and questions are in play. It's still, it's still going to be that way, but I'm going to not address any questions or comments that we are going to be addressing in future episodes. So I just want to put that out there right now. And trust me when I tell you there's things you're going to want to ask today that we're not going to talk about. This is a reveal. So I ask for your patience as we get through the five episodes. And I, I, I can assure you that I think you'll be impressed every step of the way as I was. Steve, on to you, though. You're the founder of TAG. And uh, are you a collector yourself? Yes. Um, 
I kind of, of have a differing opinion about calling myself a collector. So if I may, let me take a minute to, to tell you why. Um, I've, been, I've been collecting since, as you said, I was five years old. Uh, the first set of cards I ever bought was a 51, a pack of 51 Redbacks. Uh, and uh, I have special memories of that, that moment. But um, uh, I think that collectors often collect cards because they have a, a particular goal in mind uh, to fill a, a collection of a certain sort, whether it be by certain players, certain teams, certain rookies, certain uh, uh, series, uh, certain types of cards. And I'm, I'm more of what I call a hobbyist. I love cards. I have a passion for cards. And I almost don't care. I, I, my whole life, I have been interested in cards. And whatever the card was, at the moment I got it, I cherished that card. I, I don't ever recall thinking to myself, oh, man, look at all these commons. Uh, I just love cards. So yes, I'm a collector. Um, but I'm also a hobbyist. How many how many cards would you say you own? Which is a, it's an interesting question because, you know, people ask me that question. And I say, I, I don't know, a few thousand, but it's really I have some that aren't as important to me with yeah. you. It seems to me like they're all important. So do you can you quantify? Yeah, I, I in 2010, uh, I retired and I decided that I would for the first time take all of my cards and identify them, take them out of various storage bins. And uh, I had about 80 of those plastic file boxes filled with cards. And, um, I wanted to put them in year order and sport and set and player and card numbers and et cetera. So I did. I spent almost two years uh, organizing uh, the, the collection. And it's about 430,000 cards at that time. <laughs> that's a big that's a big number 430,000 cards what, what are some of your favorites well my favorite card I think I alluded to my favorite card is um that 51 redbacks it was uh um Wally Westlake and it was the first card I ever bought with my own money that I literally put my eyes on something I purchased I did chores around the house I had my heart set on on buying cards so that was the first card, and I will always hold that card in the, the highest esteem. It's in my heart. Um, the, uh, I have a special place in, in, in my heart for the 52 Tops Mantle, and it's not because it's become what it is. It's that in 1958, my parents were divorced, and I had lived in Los Angeles until then, and I relocated with my father and moved to Newark, New Jersey. And it was not only a tremendous culture shock, but I gave up all my friends and all the things that one has when they're that age. And when I got to Newark, it required a lot of adjusting. I, I lived in the attic, literally, about a uh, 150 square foot room in an attic in a 1600 square foot house at my aunt's house. And um, all I had were my cards. I didn't have friends, didn't have people to talk to. Of course, we didn't have cell phones, didn't have a computer. Uh, and the cards took on a very important thing for me. And Koufax and the Dodgers were my favorite team and player when I left Los Angeles. But 
the Yankees became my favorite team during my time in Newark because if you wanted to have friends and you were in the public school system in Newark, New Jersey, you were a Yankee fan. And uh, Mickey Mantle was about as popular a player as ever existed. Um, so I became a Mantle fan and that card, that 52 Mantle, it, it causes me to reflect on the changes I went through in my life and how important uh, baseball cards were to me. Um, I had the 56 Koufax is a favorite card of mine. Wow, not the 55. <laughs> the 56, and I do have here. I think, yeah, I do have 55s, but, but the, the 56, I love that action photo that's with the card as opposed to that 55 portrait and that pitching motion. And, uh, you know, it became so, it's, it's iconic. And while the picture doesn't show it in real life, I'm sure, you know, Koufax often had dirt on his knee from uh, his, his stretch prior to release with his knee touching the ground. So I always liked uh, uh, that card and, and had a strong place for it in my heart. The, uh, the 39 Hank Greenberg play ball, big card for me. Um, the, uh, I met Hank Greenberg. Uh, that was important to me. Uh, the circumstances that we met has special memory to me. But my dad gave me that 39 Greenberg on my bar mitzvah. And so that card, uh, as one would expect, at least if, if they're familiar with Jewish uh, uh, faith and tradition, that card meant a lot to me. Um, and other than baseball cards, which has always been my primary interest, I absolutely love the 58 Jimmy Brown. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's an iconic card. It's famous. It's valuable. It's a, it's a rookie. But what I love about that card is the black on that card and that circle that highlights the player image. And if you look carefully and you see Jimmy Brown and, and the lean as he's cutting to his left, it's only on a, on a practice field, no helmet. But the move when you see him leaning to his left, if you look at it long enough and it doesn't take long, you can actually see the power in Jimmy Brown as a runner. And even as a rookie, he was a very, very feared uh, running back. So those would be like my favorites. I, I could rattle off dozens of cards that have meaning to sure. me. Well, before we get into how you came to be the founder of Taggart, you've mentioned your father here today. You've mentioned your father in our conversations over the past several months. I want to give you the opportunity to speak to how he influenced you uh, a little bit more detail with respect to having a passion for sports cards. Yeah. Um, uh, speaking of my dad's a very... Uh, Difficult thing for me. He's uh, he's been gone for quite a while, twelve years or fifteen years. And he, um, as many other of us can can attest, he was very tough. My dad was a military guy, Air Force. Uh, he was one of the youngest captains in the Air Force in his division or group or whatever. And in World War II, he flew B twenty four, B twenty five bombers. Uh, he didn't fly missions. He, he my dad was so interested in doing things right and, and addressing the details of everything. Uh, he became an instructor, a B-24, B-25 uh, instructor pilot. And um, uh, my dad was uh, the greatest athlete I ever saw. And I, you know, I've seen some great ones. I saw Jordan and I saw Magic and I saw Kobe and I saw Elgin and 
Uh, I mean, I saw them live. I saw them all the time. Um, my dad was the greatest athlete I've ever seen. He was 6'5", which was tall for his year. Um, he was born in 1917. And um, he played basketball. He played uh, uh, football, track, um, uh, uh, baseball. Um, he lost his parents when he was very young. And he had two sisters and he committed when he was 12 or 13 years old to make sure that uh, his family, his sisters and he were not split up and living with relatives. And so he worked two jobs as a youngster, paid rent and, and kept his uh, family together. And uh, I have a letter that my dad wrote in 1946 to his sisters while he was still in the Air Force. I had it, I no longer do. And um, uh, he told them that um, uh, never, ever compromise on your commitment. Um, be loyal to yourself. Um, and he always taught me that. Uh, set your sights high, uh, but always reach to, to go higher. And uh, so his love of sports, uh, uh, his commitment to detail, you know, I was the kid that wasn't allowed to make my bed without a wrinkle in the blanket with a wrinkle. I, you know, he would come by and flip a coin. Uh, all those stories are true. So uh, I've learned that details are important. And I got that from my dad. So I don't think there would be tag uh, had my dad uh, not been my father. Yeah, he sounds like a wonderful man, a great role model. Thank you for sharing all of that. I want to get into how your education um, has contributed to you becoming the founder of TAG. Can you take us through your education? Sure. Um, you know, my dad always said that uh, education is the most important thing. And, you know, being a, a, from a family that were Holocaust survivors, my dad used to say, education, get it because it's something that nobody can ever take from you. And, uh, he instilled that in me. So I went to college and uh, got a bachelor's degree, went to Nebraska, of course, where they, they practically invented football. Uh, the uh, uh, went to uh, California Western School of Law and got a JD degree. And from there, I went to uh, Harvard Business School and got an MBA degree. Uh, I've been blessed with a with a good education. Um, and I did it during a time of the Vietnam War and and education was so important. I was a pitcher when I was in high school and I had opportunities to, to fulfill my dream, which was to play professional baseball. And um, I could have played or could have signed with the Giants or the Pirates and because of the Vietnam War. And in those days, people won't probably know this, we had a draft and uh, a 2S was the deferment that you got for being a student. So uh, it was impressed upon me by my father that I was going to school whether I wanted to or not. Uh, so those those are the education. Uh, that's what it was. Yeah. So you've, you've got some good credentials there. Starting a business from scratch, especially in a when it's technologically uh, based, it must be very intimidating. I would think it's got to be intimidating. How do you think your the analytical skills that you've developed through your education and your uh, your professional history, how have they helped you navigate these last 10 years of developing and building TAG? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, there's probably a lot of people that were, would have been better at doing this than me. Um, 
so I don't I don't lay claim to being I'm the only person that could do this type of attitude. Uh, I think it, it it took a lot of commitment and and time and, and you had to be willing to do that. But um, uh, I've had a lot of experience at doing similar things. Uh, I've uh, my very first job was a strategic planning for TRW for a division um, drilling and mining equipment. And uh, I went my, my first day of work. They told me that two days later I was going to Europe. I was there for three months and I put the strategic plan together for uh, drilling equipment for Europe, the Mideast and Africa. And uh, I have always been uh, the type of person that enjoyed putting together a business plan, understanding the elements of, of business. Um, that job, after that, I became a vice president at an oil field um, a company called Stanco, and uh, they were about a $60 million company. I was vice president of marketing. I was only there a year um, before I started the company, but during that year, I managed their presence at the Offshore Technology Conference, which was about 100,000 attendees. And so I've had some experience at, at putting together those types of shows and, and what's involved and, and how you establish the proper objectives for a show. Um, I started a, a boutique um, consulting firm that we consulted on uh, mergers and acquisitions. I put together business plans and often and would go out and find investors who would buy that company. Uh, typically, it involved companies. I did it for um, a company called Metropolitan Development was my first. Uh, I put the business plan together and I sold it to the Bellsberg family in Canada, up, up in your neck of the woods. Um, from there, I, I did work for the McCarthy company and I did work for William Lyons and I did work for a number of mortgage companies and real estate companies, financial companies, but always involving valuing assets in the context of creating business plans so I was not unfamiliar with how to take a blank piece of paper and start to think about how you put a plan together. I had done it hundreds of times. Um, I did start companies uh, successfully. And um, uh, I did work in companies that um, uh, use technology. Um, but I'm not a tech person. Uh, I'm a person who is, I think, very capable of identifying an objective and translating it into something that technology people can be chartered with the responsibility of building. And uh, whereas technology people might possibly understand the technology better, but may not be as skilled at, as putting it into and translating it into a business plan. Yeah. So it's a good you know, marriage. Pardon? It's a good marriage uh, for me with technology. Yeah. I want to also give you a chance because you're, you know, you're, you're also someone who gives back to the community. And I know this because we've discussed it. Um, the City of Hope, you are, you're, you're, you're involved with the City of Hope. Can you just take a minute and just sort of, I, I want, and again, this is about getting to know you. This is not about the details, episode one, about TAG yet. This is getting to know the founder. I think it's important. Can you speak to your involvement with the City of Hope and maybe let some people who may not know what it is uh, understand what the City of Hope is? Yeah. Thank you for asking that question. Uh, I know it's important to you. Very important. Um, I think I have uh, three passions in my life. I have the one that I think almost everybody has, which is a passion for my family. Uh, um, my sister and my son are particularly important to me. My parents have been lost. 
Uh, I have a passion for cards, uh, but equally important to me and I'm equally passionate about is the City of Hope. So it's lofty. Uh, the City of Hope is a national cancer center. It's both research and treatment. Uh, it's large, it's national, uh, it's a nonprofit. Uh, it is uh, without a doubt, uh, the most ethical, conscientious um, uh, company, group of people you will ever meet and all working toward a common goal, uh, which is uh, curing cancer and, and blood related uh, illness, disease. Diabetes is very big. And uh, I've been on the board. I first joined the board in 1989. And uh, I stayed on the board and I think about 15 years ago, I am no longer actively on the board on board emeritus. I continue to be on the finance committee and um, um, it, it, it is the, it, the gift in my life that I've received is to have been introduced to the city of Hope. I, I encourage everybody uh, to, when we get off this call, uh, look up the city of hope.org and read about it. Um, I also would like to say that um, TAG will be contributing um, for every card that we grade, we will be making a donation to the City of Hope. And we will be doing that for the rest of my term here, however long. Uh, Wonderful. Yeah, you're, 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 I can tell how passionate you are about it. I'm glad you had a chance to, to, uh, to address that. Um, let's go back to creating the company and the technological uh, basis of tag grading how how challenging has it been and can you speak to any specific roadblocks or challenges that you've encountered over the last 10 years <laughs> wow um we don't have all day but <laughs> yeah the uh, uh i'm going to to not even include uh the skepticism and and naysayer attitudes that i've heard since the beginning uh Virtually every page of the book has, has naysayers. Um, the technology is extremely complex. And part of the complexity, when you look at the entire software development, you see how much complexity there is. But it's even more complex than that because when you're developing it, you don't get to see the entire software. And every time you work on a, on a piece that's, a, that's part of your business plan, that's something that you think of that you need, or that's an essential to grading, as you do it and you work on it, maybe for months and spend money and time, and then you find out that, that when you do it, it impacts on some other piece of the software, some other piece of the business plan. So it's an evolving uh, thing and um, very difficult. So some of the, uh, the things that are that come to mind immediately are, you know, what are the scoring attributes in a card? So, I mean, everybody says, oh, there's four, you know, we see them, we, we refer to them in the industry as, as a sub grades. Um, but there's so many other uh, attributes in a card and, and different types of defects, different locations, different sizes. Um, whether or not a defect is, is um, on a face or whether the exact same defect occurs on another area of the card and 
each of these are very, very complex. Uh, how do you center an image on a card? How do you center an image on a card when it's borderless? How do you center an image on a card when it's not only borderless, but there are no markers on the card? There's no manufacturer's name. There's no player. It's just, it, it's borderless with an image. And each of these is a, is a challenge. Some of them we've reached into medical technology to, to uh, identify and figure out a resolution. Uh, some of them we invented our own technology. We have four patents. We have 134 claims. Uh, we're just filing our fifth patent. Uh, actually, it would be two more patents. Uh, one will be the fifth and the other will be a continuation of an existing. Uh, and they'll probably include another 40 or 50 claims. Um, so uh, the essence of technology is that um, uh, the more complex the problem you're trying to solve, the more complex the solution in, in the software development need be. Um, I hope I'm answering it. I don't want to say too much because we're going to show things uh, in episodes two, three, and four that I believe will boggle people's minds. And um, I say that after a lot of years in the industry uh, and knowing and talking to a lot of people about grading, uh, innovation and creativity uh, are going to be synonymous with the name tag. Well, I mean, I, I can I can vouch for that because I've seen it. I've I've seen the technology. I've I've been in the facility, and uh, my mind was blown. I'm absolutely blown. So. Um, so I, I look forward to episodes two, three, and four when the audience and, and the hobby can really be exposed to what it is that TAG has built. And uh, I think there's going to be a lot of excitement. You, you know, a lot of what you talk about has to do with analytics. And, you know, again, you have to be analytical in, in what you're doing here. You mentioned a study before. Did you, when you set out to do this in 2012, did you, did you prepare any study? Did you do anything to make sure that, that this was going to be a viable, a, a viable, uh, project for you? Uh, yes. Uh, the uh, That's interesting that you asked that because I personally know you're aware of another study that we did, but I don't think you're aware of this. So uh, this, this is a... But I, I know, I, I feel like I, I know you a little bit, so I figure there must have been something. There was. Um, in, uh, uh, in those early years, uh, for about two years, I, I read everything and, and met with people and called people and uh, did everything I could to understand grading. And, and what triggered this was um, my son was, I think, a senior at University of Chicago. And, uh, you know, you could expect that after collecting uh, card since 1951. I was looking forward to the day where I would give that uh, collection to my son. And uh, I talked to him about it. And he said he was on his way to law school, University of Chicago. And he said, Dad, I see how hard you work. It wasn't an accurate assessment because he was looking at the last two years when I had retired and spent those two years organizing the cards. I worked every day on this. So on, on your 430,000 cards. Yeah. And so based on that, that was his most recent observation. Uh, he said, sell the cards and, and do something uh, with the money that you'd never do for yourself. I think in his heart, he knew that I was going to do something with the city of hope. So um, 
I, I, I guess I was surprised, maybe a little disappointed. And then all of a sudden I found myself kind of eagerly uh, approaching the concept of selling cards. And then it occurred to me, I'd never sold a card. I did not know how to sell a card. Can you believe this? I had 430,000 cards. I didn't know how to sell a card. So I started reading about that and trying to understand that. And, and I probably found the same things that everybody else has found. Oh, if you have this era of card, give it to this company, you get better grades. If you have this kind of, if, if it's vintage, if it's modern, if it's football, if, it was, if it's whatever. And, and then I read things about don't give cards here because the, and I reached the point where I was so frustrated uh, at not being able to find out how you sell a card. I couldn't even determine, do you sell a premium, ultra premium card by itself? Do you sell it as part of the entire set? I had many sets, all the sets of the 50s, 40s, some 30s. Do, do you put the whole set out to sell or how do you do it? And um, I decided to do a little test to find out where I should get the cards graded. I had concluded that premium cards needed to be graded to get the full value. So I did a study and uh, I just took a hundred cards, random, uh, different sports, different euros. I sent them to a grading company. Uh, I got the cards back. I cracked them out of the slabs. And I remember looking at videos and talking to people because I didn't know how you take a card out of a slab. And um, uh, I resent the cards to a second company. I got them graded. And when I got those cards back and compared them, I don't even, I, I'm not in any way attempting to, to cast any aspersion on grading, but 74 of the cards had different grades. And sometimes very small difference, but I couldn't understand it. And it caused me to conclude that there was an opportunity to uh, hopefully enhance the grading standards that were applied to cards uh, and, and bring a little more consistency uh, to grading. So I started out on that and uh, that's what led to, to my making a commitment to myself at first to uh, get a grading company that used technology to grade. One of the things that I concluded, by the way, and, and this is only my opinion, so it, it, it's not carved in stone by any means. But when I looked at the results, it, it was interesting to me. If you added up all of the card scores for the 100 and divided by 100, the average score was almost the same. It, it was a very, very minor difference. Yet the variance in the cards on any given card was so great, 74 of the cards being different. But it told me that there was an equal chance of the grade being higher or lower on any individual card. And if you graded enough cards, you were going to come out with the same average. The industry would reproduce its average. The problem was on any given card, the standard deviation off that average was so large and value was driven by such a small variance in grade. So that was the dynamic I looked at. And, and that's what I said is that this needs to be fixed. I did not ever. I don't even think of it today. I did not think, oh, this is a, uh, an opportunity to make money. Never. What I see it as is an opportunity to add something from my life and put something into something I have a total passion for.
the hobby. I, what people will see when we start our business, we do so many things. I, we, you know, we have free supplies and free free uh, submission kits and. Uh, and we do it with the utmost care and packaging and, and safety. You'll see this next week. Uh, we we built our slabs in, in ways that are, we think, second to none. There's no compromise in the quality, integrity. It's not profit-driven. Uh, I could show you on other slabs where profit incentive may come into play in, in making that slab because we've learned a lot about slabs. Um, this is a... a um, uh, a passion. This is something that is done out of love for the sport. I can't say that for everybody. There, there are a lot of people in this in this company, rightfully so, that are here to build careers. They're here to make um, extensive uh, commitments. They're here to honor those commitments, and they want to make uh, money doing it. We have investors, and there's no investor that's in our company that's invested because Steve has a passion for cars. They're investing because they've seen what we do. They believe in what we do and they want to make a profit. Yeah. And I would say it's fair that most of our investors don't have a cap on that profit. The more they make, the happier they're going to be. Sure. So Couple, let, let me jump in a couple of questions. Um, uh, speaking of the study that you just mentioned, uh, and Lucky K has the same question that I had, which is what was the first company you sent to and what was the second company you sent to? Yeah. yeah. Um, I'd ask the same question as Lucky K and you. I'm not going to answer it. I never have. Um, I don't believe that that, that study was, I, I cannot say that I genuinely undertook that study to demonstrate that somebody was not grading cards as well as I thought they should. It had nothing to do with that. And I don't think the results indicate that. And my reason for the study was I wanted to determine whether or not there was a, if you will, human eye factor that was impacting on any particular card and what grade that card might get. And um, for that reason, it served its purpose. I've disclosed what its purpose uh, was, um, but it doesn't really matter. I, I will just say that I've never given a card to anybody for purposes of, of building our business plan that was not a credible source of grading. The, the second question I want to ask about the study, because you mentioned that you you submitted 100 cards to one company, then you cracked them out and submitted them to another company. A lot of people might think that while cracking them out, you might have you might have impacted the condition of the cards before sending them to the second company. My question is um, on those on those results, the, the variance between the grade from company one and company two were there. How many were graded lower? How many were graded higher? Because if they're graded higher. I would assume that you didn't damage the card. Yeah. Uh, to be honest with you, I, I did not do the kind of analytics that you're asking for in that study. But five years later or so, we undertook a much more sophisticated uh, study. And in that one, we did do what you, you just asked. And the answer from that study with 1,200 tests, uh, 1,200 grade results, 41% uh, of the cards on the second grade had a higher grade. Higher. Yeah. That's an interesting study, which I won't, do, I know you know I did it. So you ask it if you want and don't ask it if you don't want, uh, you know, however you want to pursue this. I, I mentioned to you before the show, just ask me whatever you want. I, I, I don't, I don't mean to be rude, but I said I don't need any kind of preparation or preview of, of uh, what you're going to ask. 
Well, unlike yourself, I prepare quite extensively for these shows, so I do have a list of questions that I've thought long and hard about, and I'm, right. I'm going to I'm gonna go to my next one. Um, so during the last 10 years of developing the technology and the business plan, did you ever take a step back, and did you ever, I guess, do another study? And I, and I know the answer to this, so I'm, I'm setting you up for that. Yeah, do you want do you want to speak a little about a bit a little bit about that and maybe um, when it occurred? Yeah, yeah, I'd really like to. Um, so I would differentiate it from the first study as the first study being more of a confirmation of uh, suspicions I had based on things that I had read. I was trying to confirm or deny various rumors, you know, that you pick up when you're reading and talking to people. The second study was to find out what the facts are. And that's a completely different study. So, you know, recognized it needed statistical validity. Uh, we used uh, 200 cards. We took cards of very varying eras, uh, different sports. We, um, uh, different conditions. Um, so we sent the 200 cards to company one. We got the cards back. We sent them to company two. We got them back. We sent them to company three. And then we compared those results uh, and did a lot of uh, detailed analysis on uh, whose, whose grades were higher, on what type of cards, was there any pattern there that people did a little better on football or did a little better on the 50s or that kind of stuff. Uh, but then we took the cards and we took 50 of the cards out of the 200 and we trimmed those cards. I actually wanna say something about trimming because I read something today, I don't know, somebody sent it to me and I don't even know what it is, it's, whether you call it a blog or a message board or something. And somebody said something about a guy that I work with, uh, Scott Maxwell, and said that he was associated with a, a company, uh, I don't even know the company name, but um, that in, in the article or in this, this uh, write-up, it referenced trimming in the context of using Scott's name. So you'll meet Scott um, when we talk about the grading system on the 17th of, uh, 18th of June. But um, when somebody says that, uh, yes, it has a lot, of, a lot of import to Scott, I'm sure, and, and his credibility. But even more important than that, it, it's a statement about my integrity and my credibility. And that's why I want to mention it. Um, in my opinion, only an idiot would say something like that without knowing that what they're saying is correct. So I have personal experience with Scott and over eight or nine years. And so Scott's graded about 3 million cards. Uh, Scott used to work at uh, one of the major grading companies. Um, Scott has uh, consulting relationships with a number of people in the industry. Um, when we did this study that you're asking me about now, and I just started to tell you, we took 50 cards out of that 200 on the second go round, and we wanted to trim those cards and submit them to, as part of the study was to identify if you saw the card once and you got the card, the same card back trimmed the second time, would you identify it as trimmed? And so I asked Scott uh, if he would trim those cards, and he literally said, not knowing this topic would come up today, I don't know how to do it. He said, I guarantee you, if I trim those cards, anybody that's a grader will know those cards are trimmed. So I trimmed the cards. So the person who wrote that article, okay, 
put my name in there. I'm the one that's associated with tag. I'm the founder of tag. I trim those cards. I admit to trimming those cards. And that's the way you should be writing your message board. By the way, I have every one of those cards. We've retained all the 200 cards for the study. Uh, those cards have never been sold. And, uh, but I will acknowledge I'm a card trimmer. <laughs> I get it. And uh, I had no idea how to do it. I read about it. I looked at some video. I bought one of those uh, table cutters. I, I bought exacto sets. I, I tried everything. Um, so let me put that issue aside. So we submitted the 200 cards, 50 of them. We submitted the 150 cards back to the uh, companies uh, second time. And at that point, we were able to test for what we call reproducibility. Could you take a card unaltered, grade it once, and when you get that card back again the second time, can you reproduce the grade you gave it the first time? And are you the best at it, the worst at it? Are you in the middle? Is there a difference in the companies? But reproducibility to me is very important. Um, so we did that study um, and we were able to, to very carefully examine the cards. We have those cards. We have all the flips from each one of those cards. We have six grades per card. Uh, we've retained everything. And um, uh, again, just in case you're going to ask me, it doesn't matter the three companies that we use to grade the cards. It doesn't matter who was better. We know, and I don't even want to use the term better, who was more consistent. We know. We know what cards uh, there's greater consistency on. It's not important. What is important is that when you're dealing with something like cards, there are so many, there are trillions and trillions of combinations of defects and variables that can impact on a card. Even when you're only considering major defects, every location can be different. Every, every length difference, every width, every depth, um, where it is on the card, there's so many variables. And so when you're starting to deal with human beings, um, human beings aren't even the species on earth that has anywhere near the best eyesight. There's so many animals that can see far better than a human being. So just the fact that we're humans, let's not pat ourselves too hard on the back about how great we do things with our eyes. And eyesight is remarkable and it's amazing, but it's not precise. Uh, you can ask almost any defense attorney when, they're, when they have a witness giving testimony uh, how, how accurate the eyewitnesses' testimonies are. So um, it, it shouldn't be expected that human beings can look at these kinds of details and these kinds of combinations of this many attributes and consistently come out with the same answer. It's not possible. Um, so yes, we've done the second study. It's a remarkable study. Uh, I would say that it was the impetus that we needed uh, to convince us that while we were, had the end in sight to let us know we're heading in the right direction. So you, you said that you sent, you said you had six flips per card. So does that mean that you sent each card to three gr different grading companies twice? Yes. Each, okay. we, we sent 200 cards to three different companies, two times each. Got it. Okay. Okay. So you thought that wasn't free. You might, you, you, you put some investment into that, but I guess it, it helped you understand that there was a need for what, for what you're doing. Let me, let me ask you. Uh, it, this also, it also took like two years or something. Yeah. So, That's fast these days, actually. Yeah. So it, 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 it's a commitment that you want to know the truth. That's what we did. We said to ourselves, we, we need to do it. 
Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry, I interrupted. Yeah, I just, I want to ask about about the study. Um, you sent the same card back to the same company. Can you disclose sort of uh, not who was not what company was most consistent, but what what was the rate of reproducibility uh, overall? So to the, uh, this not not between different companies, but to the same company. I will say that the the ability to reproduce your first grade a second time, the inability to do that was consistent among the three companies and um, and it was significant. The variance was very material. yeah. But, but it was it, it was very similar. I guess you could say they were consistently inconsistent. Okay. So let me ask you this then. What is your opinion today of the leading grading companies in the space? Well, first, as companies, they're remarkable. Uh, I would say that PSA has been a leading company. Uh, an architect of the growth in the industry. And, and I think the, the card industry, as we know it today, is, is largely the result of PSA. I think custom set registry was brilliant. I think it's added a lot of value to, uh, to cards. I think that Beckett, I remember when, when I was much younger, looking at Beckett magazines and seeing the right-hand side of the page with those two columns of uh, condition. I don't remember what they were. I think excellent mint and, and gem mint or whatever, but they had two valuations. And I think black label, I think was a, a, a very good effort to one of the things that I think everybody's realized is that uh, the manufacturing of cards has gotten better and better. <laughs> And so it's more and more difficult to differentiate between cards. It's, it's, if you look at the, over the last, if you look at the decades uh, on population reports, PSAs, for example, and you look at the cards that were graded for the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, et cetera, you'll see that the, the percentage of cards graded that are 10s goes up. And you can expect that because the older vintage cards, maybe you would expect to have lower grades. But it's it's a consistent pattern until the, until recently because I think we've kind of maxed out. Uh, they, they, you can't give every card a ten, and so the challenge has now been you know not looking for cards that are tens, but looking for cards that you you can characterize as less than ten. And I'm not being critical of that. I think it's essential because if every card ends up with a ten, there's almost no reason to to grade cards. So. While manufacturing is getting better and card grades are becoming uh, more, more high grades are becoming more routine, things like black label help the market differentiate between a 10 and a 10, help, help them differentiate between a high grade and a high grade. Um, so um, we use a thousand point grading scale. Why? <laughs> it, it amazes me that everybody doesn't. We use a thousand point scale because if you're using, let's say, half point scales, uh, one to 10, and you're, you've got an eight and a half, and you round to the nearest half grade, and you've got a card that would grade an 826. You would give that card an 8.50. And if you had a card that graded a 924, 
or a 925, you would give that card a nine. And so you say, well, how can there be 48 points, basically a half a grade difference between those two cards and they get, and they get a same grade? Or how can there be a different grade on cards that have the same, the same characteristics, but they're off one or two points at whatever that differential. So if, if an 828 and 85 are your grades, you would theoretically say an 824 is an eight and an 826 is an eight and a half. How can, how can those two points differentiate a half a point grade when the value is so great in that difference? So the thousand point scale lets us look at, you know, a 999, a 998, a 997, a 996. We help the market determine and differentiate value and tell them why, total transparency. You will see every defect you, on, our, on our detailed image and grading report. You will see every defect. You will have high resolution images of it. You will have a locator. It'll tell you what type of defect, what size, where it's located, it's weighting, it's score. And you'll be able to check and see that every time that defect shows up on another card, anywhere, it's going to be treated the same way. Um, we also have things like a proof card. It's a card without defects and it's never touched by human hands. We have a near proof card. Near proof card is a card that's near a defect free card, but it's been touched by human hands. A proof card is one of a kind. Once we find that proof card, and we, how do we find it? You can't submit the card because it's touched by human hands. We buy cases of cards. We open those cases in, a, in an environmentally controlled area. People are wearing gloves and hats and coats and um, you know, re reverse osmosis and whatever to keep the, the room totally clean. And when we find that card that doesn't have defects or any defects are below the scoring threshold, it's classified a proof and the system recognizes that proof as one of a kind. There will never ever be another proof card of that card. So for people who, who like one of a card, uh, one of a kind cards, uh, this is something important. But even more important, I think, is can you imagine what this does for a common card? A card that's, that's has no value, certainly not worth grading, that we identify a common card that's a one-of-a-kind proof card, in my opinion, it will sell for more than the, the unslab common card, the raw common card. So we have a lot of innovative things like that. You're going to hear a lot about these things uh, over the next uh, three episodes, and I don't want to uh, pull too much out. And There's a lot to unpack and tag, a lot. Yeah. And so mul multiple reveals because we have to go slowly and show everybody and not tell everybody what we do. We have to show it. And uh, we have a lot of transparency built in the system. But if we tell you there's transparency, we ought to be able to show you the transparency. What value is, is somebody telling you there's transparency and you can't see it? Yeah, no, I agree. And, you know, you talked about the thousand point scale and I'm a big fan of that because if you've watched my show before, you know that I've said over and over again that there are not only 18 or 19 grading uh, grades that, are, that, that, that describe a card's condition. There's an infinite amount of grades that can describe a card's condition. So a thousand is a lot closer uh, to infinity than, you know, 10 or 19 with half grades is. So I like that specificity. But the hobby is very used to this 10-point scale. So how do you... How do you reconcile what the hobby is used to with your thousand point grading scale? 
we give them the one through 10 grade they're accustomed to seeing. So uh, I don't know if you'll see it here, but on this particular slab, oops, uh, the, it's, it's glary, you won't see it, but I'll read it to you. So uh, this one says that this happens to be a 10 pristine. Uh, the score on this card is a 978, but we give them the industry 10. Good. Okay. So we're not asking people to convert to our system. What we're asking people is take your one through 10 scale. We're going to give it to you, but let us give you a lot of details as to why that card is an eight on that scale. Is it really an eight or is it an 807? Is it an 807? Why is it an 807? So we're not changing anything. We're just giving more information and support for it. Our system is built to reflect the current grading industry standards. Good. Okay. Do you, so let's keep going here. Do you think that tag is better at grading than the other companies are? I think better is a, uh, uh, an improper word. So I, I, I would say when you say something is better, you, you kind of say the other one's not as good. And I think when, uh, when people switch from the dial phone to a push button phone, this is before your time, not mine. I, no, no. I remember, I remember dialing. I remember my great aunt had a crank phone. Uh, <laughs> But um, when you when you introduce a new technology, if it's if it's done for the right purpose, I think it's either to make something more efficient, give it greater utility, reduce the cost, make it more available, speed up the time that it takes. It's not to it's not to to change what's done. It's to improve what's done. So when you say better, if you mean, do we improve the grading uh, systems that exist today, the manual grading systems? My answer would be yes, we improve them with a little greater consistency and, and um, uh, reproducibility. And when you offer more consistency, uh, you are offering more accuracy. So um, that's the only context that I would say. I, I would say we, we, we're improving on what has been done. And I think what's been done is a fabulous job at building an industry. You know, I just thought of this, but I think it, it merits saying. And I may be very wrong in this statement. My recollection is that when Nat Turner made an offer to buy uh, CLCT, um, he wrote a letter to shareholders and one of the reasons he was buying the company was, as I recall, he felt that they had underutilized their resource with respect to developing technology. I'm almost sure he said something about that, something akin to that type of statement. And I don't think he would, he would say there's no place for the technology we're developing. In fact, I think that um, he would welcome hopefully welcome the opportunity to speak to us about what we're doing. I, I think it's, uh, it's something that um, he and, and others should have an interest in. Um, the, um, um, I would be extremely proud if uh, my name were associated with PSA and, and its role uh, in the industry and its future. We're, we don't intend to, 
I'm not even sure we will ever accept a card in a PSA slab to grade. I, I don't see any reason to. I'm not saying we won't, but it's not in the plan. Uh, we're not trying to disrupt PSA's business. When you consider all the cards that are graded represent something like 0.082% or 0.088% of the cards that are manufactured. There's so many cards out there that are ungraded that if we can lower the cost, increase the turnaround time, make common cards more valuable, introduce the hobby to younger kids, put proof cards in the stands at all the sporting events, uh, halftime giveaway, seventh inning stretch, whatever. Uh, if, we can, if we can say to the consumer, look, your card's not that valuable. Don't incur the expense of grading and don't incur the expense of handling and the, the time of handling and shipping, insuring, whatever. Um, don't send us your card to grade. We'll send you the technology. Listen to that carefully. Our plan is that you're, we're not going into business to have a whole bunch of people send us cards. We're going into business to have a whole bunch of technology delivered to the market. And uh, that's where our market is. We're not, we're not looking for the people that are doing business with PSA or, or Beckett or SGC. There's no reason. There's billions billion of cards out there. They're doing 15 million cards combined. There's billions of cards out there that aren't graded. Wait, I didn't even say. We've, we've met with manufacturing companies. We've been told that, uh, for example, there's more soccer cards made in a World Cup year in, in countries outside the United States than all the sports cards that are made in the United States those four years. Wow. So what do you have? A bunch of group submitters, not even a bunch, a handful of group submitters that get enough cards together that they can send to a U.S. grading company. Or you have a grading company here that contemplates opening up a brick and mortar shop that with labor costs and, and rent. And um, we plan on having our technology in those markets and, and having the cloud be our, our, our labor force and, and our brick and mortar. So we're not even looking at, at the existing grading companies. They, they don't represent anything to us in our in our business plan okay no fair fair enough I, I think despite the business plan um some people will still want to you know use tag over another company that they've been using just because uh you know it's going to be more accurate consistent and reproducible i think those are those at least those should be important uh, uh qualities or yeah qualities of a grading company can you speak a little bit more about those i've seen some comments in the chat uh, about about them and you know people are I saw someone say that consistency is very important reproducible is important is there anything else you've, you've spoken to them but is there anything else you'd like to say about those three attributes yeah accuracy consistency and reproducibility my mind kind of wandered and and in that question you started by by making another comment uh, as the intro to that and it I, yeah I just said that some people some people will you know if yeah. their business from one company to another, not and then and all the all the existing companies have their loyalists and and their and the hobby is very used to those companies. So you know, I like that you're that you're setting out not to take that business away, but to really grow the overall grading submissions across the world. Yeah, uh, to that point, if I might offer a comment, and it's just my personal opinion. Um, as a general rule. 
the person who's making a decision on where to get a card graded uh, today uh, is the owner of the card or the influencer and how, where, and when that card gets sold. And what we want to do is we want to present our technology to the market on the buy side. I want the person who's buying a card for $10,000, $3,000, $20,000 to say, I'll buy the card. I agree to the price, but I want that card tagged. I want to see the detailed grading report. I want to see exactly what the defects are. And so we're not looking for the, quote, submitter of the cards to decide that, that we're a good place to get a card graded. We want his buyer to say, I'll buy, the, I'll buy the card. I'll pay the price. I'll even pay you more money. But I want the card tagged. So I did want to add that thought that uh, I'm not so sure it's the sellers who determine where cards are graded as much as the buy side. Yeah, that, that's, that sounds fair to me. Definitely. Right. Okay. Um, and then it was asking you to just speak a bit more towards accuracy, consistency, and reproducibility. If there's anything else you'd like to say about them and how they've worked into the mission of, of TAG. Uh, I, I think we've kind of covered it. I, I could speak on the subject of each of those for hours and, uh, and, and bore the audience to death. Um, but uh, Well, let's keep going. Okay. Unless you have anything else to say, go ahead. Um, yeah, I think that they're extremely important. I think that um, I think there's there's only two components to the value of a card. Uh, one of them is the scarcity of the card, and the other one is the condition of the card. And sometimes they they can operate independently. Uh, you know, you could have a even a trimmed. Harness Wagner that sells for more money than it than it did before they, before people knew it was trimmed. Um, I guess you could say also that provenance can can play a part in the value of a card, but I think more so than anything, scarcity and um, uh, condition. So when you the scarcity is impacted by counterfeits. Uh, you think that there's only X number of those cards and, and find out that somebody has run off 10, 20 versions of the card and all of a sudden it's not scarce. Um, the condition of the card is problematic or can be problematic. Not if the person who buys the card from you cares as little about the condition of the card as you do when you get it graded. So if you're the typical person who grades a card, you don't care what the grade of the card is as long as it meets your expectations as far as how high the grade you want. So if you, if you expect that a card you submit is going to be a nine and you get back a 10, I doubt you are ever going to complain about the grading company. If you submit a card that you expect a nine and you get back an eight, what do you do? Well, you, you, Crack the slab, you resubmit it two, three, four, five times. I've had people tell me they've done as many as nine. Um, that's because you're dissatisfied with the grade. It didn't meet your expectations. So I think that that consistency in grading is very important. Everybody needs to know the grade is the grade, but you can't do that unless you can tell people and show people why. So I don't think somebody cares if, if there's a defect that impacts a card by 80 points. I don't think they say this should be 65 points. 
this should be 88 points. I think where they feel cheated and where they complain is when they get it with an 80 point defect and somebody else with the apparent, apparently same defect ends up getting 40 points of deduction and they get a nine and a half and you get a nine. That's very common, by the way, in my reading, particularly with centering, which people are able to look at and make good calculations. And I've seen a lot of articles written about how can this get ABC score on centering when it's blank, blank, and this card is dot worse and gets a better grade. That to me is frustrating to, to the industry. And I don't think there's any reason for it. Uh, I, I think consistency will resolve that. Um, we want to provide consistency to the industry. I don't know whether we hook up with a large retailer and put uh, our grading pods in retail locations. I don't know whether or not we ask eBay if they would uh, be interested in providing some consistent uh, grading to their platform. I don't know whether or not we go to, we've been approached by a shopping center magnate. I think he owned 110 or 120 shopping centers who said, I'll put one of these pods in every one of my shopping centers. We've had calls from Europe, from the UK, Spain, Germany, Italy, um, India, Pakistan, Japan, China. How, how, have they, what? how, has every, how have they found you? Because you've been they, pretty under the radar. They didn't. They called us because of our patents. And they wanted to know, have you vacated the patents? Where are you at in the development? When will you be doing this? Can we get an exclusive? Let me throw in Canada and Mexico into that group. So... Uh, I know there's opportunity there. I'm not sure whether we are the, the, the flag bearers of bringing that opportunity forward or whether we will associate with, with uh, um, the prominent uh, people who will help us bring it forward. I just know what we have is something that uh, should be uh, valued by the industry and, uh, and over time it will be. Well, again, as I said at the beginning, I've I've been to the facility. I've seen I've seen the technology. I've seen the pods. Uh, I was blown away. I was blown away, and it's been it's been difficult for me not to talk about this over the last couple of months, as I've been, you know, as we decided to do this series and reveal it here today uh, and over the next four episodes. But um, yeah, I've been I was very very impressed. Uh, we've had very few people here, as you know, very few. You could count them on one hand. And uh, every person that's been here uh, has the feedback has been similar to yours. Uh, and we're proud of that. This is the first time uh, on, uh, on the 25th, we're actually going to be, I think, uh, moving some kind of camera, or I don't know how the guys will do it. We have very capable guys, but we're, we're going to be, people are going to see the operation. And I, I, I'll tell them in advance, they will be very surprised. Uh, we, don't, we don't need a 140,000 square foot building. We don't need a lot of people running around. As a matter of fact, we don't hire a single grader. That's a pretty interesting statement. We're a grading company. We do not hire anybody that is an, an experienced uh, grader. Don't want them. Uh, everybody we have are people who are able to operate machines are people who are able to understand a process, people who are able to be part of a team, a culture, uh, they work together. So um, you'll see that and uh, you'll look around and, and uh, I think you'll say, that's kind of interesting how they're doing this.
Yeah, come, back. come back and see these shows. Uh, I think people will like it. So on one of the upcoming episodes, we're going to, we're going to actually, I don't know how we're going to do it, but we're going to see the operation itself, the grading pod and the technology and, and all that. That is our intent. And I know that on uh, Friday, we started mapping out those things that uh, need to be protected from view. In other words, uh, let's just say, uh, this is hypothetical, the name of a piece of equipment. Uh, maybe we have to cover that. Uh, we're just now going through and starting to identify uh, because we have other patent filings that we're doing, and we have to be careful that we don't put into the public domain the things that we're filing patents for, because we lose the ability to patent the things if we've if they're already in the public domain. Right. There's a balancing right. act, but people will see more than enough uh, to understand the genuine the genuineness and and accuracy of what we're doing. Okay, great. Uh, I look forward. I look forward to those episodes myself. Even though I've I've been there, I look forward to everybody else uh, seeing what I got to see. And I think, I think you'll be impressed. I know some people won't. We're gonna have skeptics no matter what. That's just the fact of life, and that's okay. It's good to have some skeptics. keeps you on your keeps you on your toes. But I think I think the majority of the hobby is gonna be very very impressed. Anything uh, on that? Yeah, I think that uh, uh, I, I I've probably. Uh, oh, something happened here. I, I have probably learned more from, I don't know that I would say skeptics. I, I have learned more from people who start from, from a point of view that uh, I've not seen this before and I have doubts about whether or not this will work. And um, uh, you learn a lot from those questions and you learn a lot from people who have various backgrounds. And uh, it's important to distinguish between people who say a lot because they're really not talking about the subject they're expressing. They're trying to talk about themselves. So you see people who talk about technology with all these fabulous technical terms and, uh, and they, they, they characterize it as questioning something that they're looking at realizing they don't know anything about what they're looking at. How could they? But what they're really trying to do is say something about themselves, how much they know, how smart they are, how technically gifted, whatever. So um, I, I like people uh, to comment and to be truthful. Uh, the people who I recognize their comment as being like an insect flying around me, uh, typically on a summer night when it gets dark, uh, I really don't respond. I wait until they run into the tree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But genuine dialogue is welcomed. People with a vested interest in the status quo, they never would have ever gotten on a jet plane. They never would have got on a prop plane. They never would have had an Apple watch. They never would have used a cell phone. They never would have driven in a car. Those are the people who want the status quo. You look around, there's probably 90% of what you can see when you walk out of your house 20, 30, 40 years ago wouldn't have existed. So uh, there are studies that I forgot there's a rule as, as to the rate at which technology grows and uh, some, someone can look it up, but it, it's astounding. Yeah. It's something like every decade, technology grows at a rate 
double all of the technology that's been developed up to that point. I don't know the rule and I don't know if I have the right rate, but technology is, is amazing. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay. Totally changing the topic. Now I want to know, uh, you mentioned you have investors. Uh, are you willing to, or able to let us know who any of these are? Any, any people who we may be familiar with at all? Um, There's definitely people you'd be familiar with. Um, uh, first, let me say that on our website, you can see our board uh, and all of our board members. Let me just make sure that's correct. Uh, all of our board members are investors. So that would be one place to start. And, you, and their backgrounds are, are indicated there. Um, we have uh, we have a top a Cy Young contending uh, major league pitcher. Uh, so people, when, when you would you know their name? Yeah, if I told you the name, people would obviously recognize it. Um, we have uh, uh, people from the technical world. We have people from entertainment. Um, uh, people who are executives at large entertainment companies. So you may not know their name necessarily from in front of the camera, but if you look at our board, you'll see, for example, one person and look at the shows that he's produced and you'll recognize, you know, from Seinfeld to, to other, other significant shows. So um, I, I'm, I'm always hesitant to, to talk about people um, because it's easy to do. And um, uh, I wish I could tell you that um, we had uh, the kind of um, investor profile that companies that are up and running that are large companies that, uh, that have, we don't, but we're starting. We have not, we've never gone out. We're, we're not people who have sought outside capital with one exception. Um, everything we've done is family and friends. And again, without disclosing names, we did have discussions with a group that uh, impressed me greatly. And um, they're prominent people in the uh, entertainment sports industries and very, very smart guys. And the deal didn't work out. Um, and um, uh, it's unfortunate that from my perspective, um, I felt that the dilution that, that was created for my partners uh, wasn't fair. Uh, I, I couldn't pull the trigger on on that. But I love the guys. I thought, boy, could they bring a lot to this company. Okay, no, fair enough. We, we can leave that there. I just thought I, I, it's just a question I was interested in. Let me, let me say one other thing to answer that question. Uh, we are uh, in our plan. We are contemplating uh, going out and doing a, a, a significant capital raise uh, probably around October. We have all the funds we need to do what we're doing, but there's so many things we want to do and do faster. And, uh, so we will go out and raise um, a, a pretty good chunk of money. Okay, good. Okay. So here are the questions that I think everybody is uh, is really curious about. There's three of them. What is the cost of grading with TAG? What are the turnaround times? And when can people start sending you their cards? 
Boy, all three of those are tough questions. Um, they sound simple. They're not. I'm, not, I'm glad they're tough then. <laughs> so um, let's take them one at a time. What do we charge? Um, I don't know. Um, and uh, we, we have numbers in our plans. And uh, what, you, what you charge to grade a card has to reflect uh, a number of, of things. And of course, it has to be reflective of your cost. And let's assume for a moment, you haven't seen what we do, but let's assume our cost per card is lower than grading where there's a high labor content. Um, but you also have to consider your, your capacity. <clears throat> and as you use capacity, what does your incremental capacity cost? You, have, you also have to um, build in your, into your cost uh, what your application of your, of your cash flow is, your operating cash flow. How much operating cash flow do you need to do what you intend to do tomorrow, next week, next month? So we're putting that together right now. Uh, and um, given what I just told you, I think it's fair people should expect that our cost will be as low or lower than any cost in the industry. So I don't want to give you a number because then if, if I'm off a dollar or two, you're going to come back and or be disappointed or maybe be ecstatic. But uh, I'd rather be candid and, and straightforward with you and tell you the factors that we're considering that the end result will be uh, will be as lower, lower than, than any grading. Anything. Well, that, that's fair. That's fair. Can I ask, when do you think you'll know that number? When will it be posted to the website? Uh, yeah, another tough question. Um, you can give me a range. You don't have to hone in on a specific day. The um, our, our, I'm going to say in July, we'll be taking third-party cards, but let me explain why it's difficult to answer the question. If, if that was the only part of the question that I needed to answer, I could, I could answer it. But there's another factor involved. Over the last, I don't know, eight months or so, probably since the July convention, starting from the July convention, we have received 55, 60,000 cards here for grading. We, we told everybody, we're not grading yet. We'll tell you when we're grading. We have other people who've already told us they, how many cards they have to submit. We're supposed to let them know when. But we have here physically received 55, 60,000 cards. Worse than that, 30,000 of those cards came with payment where they just estimated an amount, wrote out a check and said, here, cash it. And if the, if the cost is higher, let me know. I'll make up the difference. If it's less than you owe me money, send it back. But I want to pay now because I want my cards to go into the, the front of the line. So we're just starting. You haven't heard the noise because I think they stopped thinking that it bothered me. But um, we're just starting uh, that process right now. And, and I, I can't tell anybody that I know exactly how long it takes uh, for us to do uh, those cards. We're, we're, this is the first time we're putting cards through an entire process in volume. Um, I, I can tell you that we're familiar with our capacity. We're familiar with our time, but we haven't even 
We haven't even switched to the cloud yet. That's going on right now, which has a significant improvement on, on the rate at which our technology uh, delivers results. So that's why I can't answer um, when we'll start. We're, we're believing that we will start in July, right? Now. And, and by the way, when we start in July, just so nobody's disappointed, we don't want to ever disappoint anybody that gives us a card. And so that means that we will take as few a number of cards as we need to make sure that we are confident when we tell somebody they're going to get the card back on this day or this time, we do it. And I don't care if that means that we take one card a month, 100 cards a month, 10,000 cards a month, 50,000 cards a month, whatever it is that we say we do, we're going to make sure we do. So that's the other reason why I can't answer uh, the time yet. Your last um, part of that question was, uh, uh, was it the, the turnaround time? Yeah. Good, because otherwise I'd have been helping you. <laughs> um, the turnaround time is, is similarly complex because of that backlog of cards that we have. And I hate to call it a backlog because it's nothing for our system. It's a backlog because they're all, they're all sitting here and we're just starting that process. But... Um, while we're not interested in, in building a business model around large submitters, we do have, uh, what we call elite plus submitter status. And we have a number of people in that category. And those people um, agree to grade a certain volume of cards monthly. So for illustrative purposes only. A guy gets an elite status with us. Uh, he agrees he's going to give us 20,000 cards a month. And um, we agree that he's going to get a different pricing. And we would normally say, you know, we're going to turn your cards around in a month. For the elite plus, we say uh, every Friday, you, you ship us 5,000 cards, we'll receive them on Monday and we'll send you the slab cards back on Friday. To us, we would designate a grading pod for that particular piece of business. And it doesn't matter to us whether we get them all and take a month and have a whole bunch of slab cards sitting there waiting for shipment, or we do them weekly and get the cards back. But it does matter to that submitter. They consider it a big advantage to be able to uh, have that kind of service level. So that's not available to the public, but it does show um, what the intended capabilities are with respect to turnaround time. But if you recall a while ago, I said, don't send us your cards, we'll send you the technology. Well, when we put grading pods in the marketplace and we know from, from our submission form, the zip codes cards come from. So when we get to a certain number of cards from a certain zip code, let's just say, again, hypothetically, we put a, a grading pod there. And there are ways that we put a grading card, a grading pod there where all the grading is done here. They're receiving the card, image capturing the card, printing the slab, slabbing the card. We're doing all the grading and we have the ability to verify that the card that goes in the slab is the card that we graded, et cetera. So that is virtually immediate turnaround time. Somebody can come in and say, you know, I want the card in 15 minutes and that's X fee, Y fee, Z fee. So we're talking a little bit about the future, come back on the 25th, uh, 
because the topic on the 25th, I think it's the 25th, is the future. Mm-hmm. We'll talk more about this. But these are all the things that we we have to factor into what we're doing right now. We're going, to, we're going to meet the expectations of the industry, not because that's our challenge. It's because we think the expectations are remarkably low. So we're confident in saying we'll meet the expectations. Our, our actual planning is to dramatically exceed those expectations, teach people um, that they are entitled to the transparency, the accuracy, consistency, the reproducibility, immediate grading, uh, immediate access to their, what, we want that to be what you're entitled to when you get a card grade. We have a ways to go, but, but um, the first challenge is in identifying what your objectives are yeah. instead, instead of just taking wild shots. So we're going to do, this is the, we're coming to the end of episode one of, of again, this five episode series. What are some of your objectives uh, of, of doing this reveal over five episodes uh, with, with myself and the, and the sports cards live community? Yeah. Um, so my first answer would be that uh, people see me as uh, being a genuine person. That's the most important thing to me and that I have integrity and that our business will have a culture that reflects that. Number one, without a doubt. Uh, Number two, that there's a place for technology in almost any arena in the world. Uh, If it's you're watching TV, you're listening to music, whatever it is that you do, I can't even begin to tell anybody how much technology is in their car and the monitoring systems in their car. we're not trying to reinvent grading. We're not trying to change grading. We're using the same grading standards. That's in and of itself a pretty interesting statement because I noticed somebody uh, who asked some question about who are the people that that um, used to, to whatever it was, establish the original parameters. Uh, we'll get into that when we talk about grading, but I would like to say it doesn't even matter we're grading cards to the standards of the industry that exists today and we're going to do it consistently so um people are thinking that we're reinventing the standard and therefore they need to know well how did you how did you get to reinventing the standard we're not um so um the second thing that that's important to me is that uh people understand that we've spent 10 years on this uh not because we wanted to We've had something like over 50 uh, engineer developer type people working on it. We've had four different development companies. We've got 120,000 plus hours in development. We've got over 200,000 hours in, including the research and business plan. It's not because we're idiots. We have some highly skilled people here and you, your audience will meet each of them. The reason why it takes 10 years is because that's how long it takes to do this right. And that's, I want people to understand that that's what we're doing every step of the way. Um, I guess the third thing that, that I would like for people to say is that I'm hoping that tag becomes um, a standard of excellence that people ask for their cards to be tagged. Uh, the buyers ask for the card to be tagged, that our supply kits are recognized as well-designed, well-built. I, 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 there's so much engineering that goes into just the box 
and the slabs. And I mean, your people, your audience will all hear all this, but I want them to appreciate that we took no shortcuts, none. Uh, and that's it. And then I guess I'm hoping I come across as being a likable person. Pick up the phone, call me, ask me any questions, chat with me. If I can't answer your question, and, and rather than give you a line of BS, I'll just tell you straight up that I can't answer. Either I don't know or it's not something we want to disclose, but I will, I will be truthful. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I think those are great objectives for the series. I like uh, Justin Vick just writes, tag it, baby. So you've said... You've said that uh, people, you know, one of your objectives is that people want to have the card tagged. Is that the the vernacular that you're using at the at tag in terms of, you know, yeah. as a replacement for great? Like, is, is that just some a, a fun way to describe it, or what's the story there? Well, um, right now it's fun, and we think it will become uh, terminology that is uh, uh, in the forefront of the industry. <laughs> Lucky case says good tagline. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we are going to wrap this up soon, everybody. I, I've I've been monitoring all the comments that have been come in and I've noted a few of them. So Steve, how are you doing for time? Do you have a few more minutes to go through and, and address a few comments that have come from the from the chat? I want to try. Uh, don't give me any hard ones. Okay. Okay. Well, <laughs> we're going to give you maybe a couple. Um, okay. So let me just go to those and... Uh, Lucky K said, without mentioning company names, how many of the trimmed cards actually got a grade? Oh, thank you. Lucky. Thank you, Lucky K. Thank you. Um, of the 150 opportunities to identify uh, the trip card, uh, 12 of the 150 were correctly identified. And of those... Uh, all the cards that were uh, submitted, no, of those 150 cards that were submitted trimmed, no, of the 450 cards that were trimmed, um, 8%, so it was 12%. <clears throat> the difference between the cards that were identified as trimmed that weren't trimmed and the cards that were properly identified as trimmed was very small. You had almost an equal chance of having a non-trim card identified as trimmed as a trim card correctly identified as trimmed. I have the numbers, but I don't want to, off the top of my head, I wouldn't do it correctly. But, no, but. Fair, fair, yeah, it's a pretty specific question, but I appreciate that you uh, you don't have that data at the top of your mind lucky, right now. Lucky K, am I answering? All of the cards uh, uh, received a grade if you count trimmed the, 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 of the 12 that came back identified as trimmed. I consider that the grade that it got the grade being trimmed yeah that's not what he means but i hear what you're saying okay skeppy then said i really hope that, that the objective data transferred into subjective technology and unfortunately i forget i like the question when i read it but i forget what it was in relate related to do you do you have do you know steve is that something you can speak to i think he's talking about the objective data from the studies maybe let's keep going let's keep going skeppy feel free to clarify for me again if you don't mind uh, Brian Basketballs, I, I'm just throwing this one up. I like this. This is one of the reasons I, I watch your channel. Jeremy, love the guests and all the new changes in the hobby we all love. And I like that last part. All the new changes in the hobby we all love. Frank Schneider, very impressed. I'm hooked I'm hooked for the series. Uh, Benjamin Diamond says, grading needs to be consistent, measurable, and transparent. Also, if you pay more for a high-end card to be graded, more time should be spent grading it. Now, I think that definitely applies for human grading. Does that apply for automated grading as well? 
Uh, thank you, Benjamin. <clears throat> no, we we will charge the same thing for any card because they all take the same amount of time. It doesn't matter what the value of the card is. Um, the reason why other companies, I believe, charge more for a high-end value card, aside from possibly the profit uh, incentive, which I don't know, but it clearly should take more when you're manually grading a card. It should take more time, more care. It should take more graders looking at it. It should take a level, a higher level of review. I will tell you that when um, uh, Collector's Universe was public, I tracked their SEC filings. And um, at a time in their, uh, before uh, they stopped reporting, uh, they gave you the number of cards that were graded in the year. They told you what you, you could compute their, the number of graders. A lot of data is in those filings if you know how to look at them. And it was taking them on the average 57 seconds a card. And by my calculation. And when you consider that the higher end cards are taking a lot more time, if they're not reviewed by two, two graders, which I think they maybe are, if they don't go to a supervisor or a higher level, if there's not a reconciliation when there's difference of opinion. So those cards, uh, I don't know how much time they take and I don't know what percentage they take, uh, what percentage of the cards take that added level. But it's not difficult for me to think, gee, a regular card is picked up and graded in, in 15, 20 seconds. And, and maybe that's all it takes. But it should take more than that if you're going to do every one of those cards the same way. Any one of those cards you might be able to do like that. But to do all the cards like that and tell me that card number 12,130 is the same as you did on card number one, I, I just, I find it difficult to accept. I think that's, I think you're, you're right about that. Uh, Okay, uh, Kevin Jane says, I love the idea of having an explanation of the grade. It will make it easier to choose what cards are best fit for submission as we learn what defects cause lower grades. Any comments on that? I thought that was a fair comment. Any comments from you on that, Steve? Yeah, <clears throat> first I wanna say that, um, Kevin, I love the question and you, and you are going to love the detailed answer that you get and the, the um, the information and images that are provided. But just for now, <clears throat> uh, transparency, I, um, kind of, I think it's, I think it's Missouri that, that don't they have the, the um, uh, that little motto that says the show me state, isn't it Missouri? I don't know, <laughs> let's go with it. I, I'm not sure, but, um, if I'm willing to stand up and tell you that um, this result is accurate and it's consistent with how I've graded other cards, then I ought to be able to tell you why I'm able to say that. What, what data do I have that, that will, will demonstrate to you what I just said is accurate, other than my telling you the vernacular general eye appeal? I don't know what that means, general eye appeal. To whose eyes? I, I can show, it's like, it's like, what's that game where you put 10 people in a row and one person whispers something to the next, to the next, to Broken the next. telephone. Yeah, and so the message you get back at the end is different. Um, I don't see how you can have 
hundreds of different people grading hundreds of thousands of millions of different cards on different days of the week, different times, when they're tired, when they're not. They wear glasses, they don't. Their hair is in their eyes, it's not. Uh, they were drinking the night before, they're not. I, there's so many variables. We're human beings. That's the nature of being a human being. We're different. And so I just don't believe that it's, it's, it's appropriate for anyone to say, this is done consistently unless I can give you all of the data that you can then look at the next, the next, the next and measure that consistency. So transparency, uh, Kevin, you hit the nail right on the head. If you're going to do things consistently uh, and transparently, then you better better be able to show. Yeah. Okay. Good, good, good. Uh, Skeppy made the comment earlier that got pretty much uh, torn down that I'm not sure there's even a billion sports cards in existence. I think ProSet printed a billion cards themselves in 1989. Let's keep going. Wiz Collectibles, did I understand correctly that Steve is open to the idea of the tag technology being partnered with one of the current big three grading companies? Uh, I would say it slightly differently, uh, more inclusively. Um, I'm interested in doing something good for the hobby, and I'm interested in partnering with anybody who has a similar uh, opinion, a similar desire. Uh, I want to see accuracy, consistency, reproducibility built around transparency become the standard for card grading. I would think that existing grading companies have a leg up on others, but I also think that it's somewhat problematic or could be. They, they, they have a lot of cards in slabs. I, I have ways that I believe to, to deal with that, including just never regrade a card that's in a slab, but there are also ways to approach the grading. I'm not looking for a partner. What I'm looking for are people, companies, business, investors, people who want to bring what we're bringing to the marketplace and they want to further. We're not changing our commitment, but we'll, we'll partner with anybody whose commitment is consistent with that. Good. Okay, good. Let's keep going. David French says, don't fall asleep, Jeremy. Yeah, I am on the tail end of what I believe is a 24-hour flu, actually. I've had a rough last 24 hours, everybody. So uh, if, if I look a little off, that that is why. But I'm doing my best here. I'm doing my best. Uh, Sanderson to Orr, Eric says, how many total employees does TAG have? And are there plans to hire more once the doors open? Uh, <clears throat> yes to the latter part of that question. Uh I'm not sure of the number that we have. I think we have 19 or so now. Uh, and uh, uh, we're projecting that we'll probably have something around 60 by the end of the year. Um, I don't wanna translate that into volumes, but uh, that's a large volume of cards for us. Okay. Keeping on going here, uh, Skeppy clarifies, says, yeah, from the studies, because the data, I assume, influenced the technology. I say I hope for subjective tech because I appeal as an example is not objective. Uh, I agree. We did not use the studies to build the technology. We used the studies to confirm for ourselves that what we were trying to do was an improvement of the existing uh, grading. The, I mean, in the course of that, of course, the analytics helped us understand better 
which companies did a better job at which type of cards, which era of cards, which companies had the largest standard deviation, the largest variance. Uh, we had one card that uh, hypothetically, again, hypothetically, it got a five on the first grade and a nine on the second grade. Well, whoops, it can't be that we damaged the card when we took it out of the slab. How do you get, how do you damage it and go from a five to a nine? So there are a lot of examples like that. And each individual example is not the important thing. It's the overall study and, and, and um, the, the, it, it enabled us to, to kind of reinvigorate ourselves, to re-energize ourselves, to, to say, you know what? In spite of the naysayers, in spite of all the people that say it can't be done, in spite of all the people that don't want it to happen because they have vested interests, this is going to work. It's going to work because it's the right thing. This is a multi-billion dollar industry. And I've got some guy sitting in a room with a backwards baseball cap telling me my cards just lost 50% of its value because they decided what the grade was. It, do, it doesn't, doesn't make common sense. I don't even know the guy who did it. Fair, yeah. Okay. Uh, by uh, the way, we're, we're going to be tracking every card through our location from the time it gets here. It's open and open the package, tracks through the entire system. So we'll know every single person that was involved in the grading of that card. We'll have video of the entire process. If somebody says my card was damaged at your, after you got it, we'll have proof of what that card was. We have images of the card when it's a raw card. We have images of the card when it's a graded card. We have the video of the entire process. We're trying to protect the marketplace. We're trying to say to the market, you can depend on us. Let us be the person that, that you bet your money on. Okay. No, I think that's good. I think that's good and fair. I'm going to throw a, here's a difficult, well, I say it's difficult only because it's it, the, the tone of the question is, is one of um, extreme know-it-all sort of thing. Uh, David French says, there is not a way to judge corners, surface, or edges objectively. If you can't admit that, then I'm not sure I can ever trust you. How do you respond to that comment? Well, my first response is that, David, if you would like, I will have our guys put into the order management system that the system will, will make sure that even by mistake, it doesn't accept the card from you. So I respect your, your opinion to, to not rely on us. Um, I also respect your opinion and your, your highlighted NOT, not uh, a way to judge corner surface or edges objectively. And, um, it would be a conversation because I have no idea what your idea is of judging corners, what you're judging when you look at a corner, what's a, what's objectivity, uh, what's, what's the value of relativity, what's the value of, of establishing a standard. Uh, I, I have no idea. You're making a statement because you know nothing about what we do. So I, I respect your opinion uh, and I suggest you not submit cards. Fair, fair. Uh, Wiz Collectibles, I appreciated the response you gave um, in terms of partnering, and that is the phenomenal approach to better the hobby. Jeff Hart says, will the grading system become smarter as more cards are graded or as technology already maximized? And I want to just say, we can save this for that episode if you want, unless you want to give a quick answer to it right now. Yeah, no, I'd like to say that we're going to have the uh, chief technology officer of our production model developer. So let, let's remember that 
we used a uh, proof of concept uh, developer. We went from there to a prototype developer and had everything that the proof of concept developer did reviewed and enhanced and modernized. We then went to a minimum viability uh, a developer. We had everything done prior to that reviewed and modernized. We then went to a production and had everything reviewed and modernized and, and uh, brought forward. So <clears throat> when we say that, is the technology already maximized? My answer would be the one thing I've learned about technology is it's never completed. And uh, uh, our, our variants right now, we believe and we, we state publicly that our variants <clears throat> is designed to be four uh, points out of a thousand variants. And uh, when, we, when we're grading cards right now, we probably accept eight cards, eight points out of a thousand variants. By the way, you, you have to compute that to a one on 10 scale to understand what I'm talking about as a variance. Um, so we think we'll be at four in July when we do this, but so the answer would be, it's not maximized. We, we want to get to two, we want to get to one, uh, but at a thousand points, it's, it's just very difficult. Uh, to get much better, uh, we're, we're looking at very high resolution things that literally moving the card from here to there, uh, the, the atmosphere on that card, the airborne artifacts on that card. So how do we try and keep things standard? Well, I'm not going to go into the details, but we treat every card. Um, it, we have certain treatment of every card that is identical. So we, we, we have the means of dealing with airborne artifacts. We have the means of dealing with curvature of the card, but not just dealing with it on that card, dealing with it on that card so that every other card is dealt with the exact same way. Took a lot of time to think of these things. Uh, Jeffrey, thank you for that question. Okay, good. Let's go to uh, Justin Vick. He says, I hate that I came in late for this one. Like what I'm seeing on the site and hearing from Mr. Cass on to episode two. Very nice. Thank you. Justin Richard Zangrillo, who is not easy to impress, says, I like this guy. Absolute badass takes no guff. So that's, uh, that's a feather in, our, in your cap when you can impress Richard Zangrillo. So, yeah. So Richard, you took David's spot in the, in the order management system. <laughs> Just because you said that, Richard, go on our email, get my email address, send me your email address. I want to grade 50 cards for you free. Whoa, there you go, Richard. Congratulations. Well, and I, I can help get in touch with Richard. Steve Foley. Steve Foley says, this is exciting and the hobby needs it. Great job, Steve, and welcome to the hobby. I'll just say it's not really a welcome to the hobby. It's welcome to being a public person in the hobby and, and launching the company. Just because if you weren't here at the beginning, Steve, uh, Steve Foley, Steve Cass has been in the hobby since 1951. Uh, and Richard goes on to say, I, says, I respect that Steve isn't willing to pander. He, he has a clear vision and he's not willing to compromise to appease the hobby naysayers. Sounds good to me. Sounds good yeah. to me. <clears throat> trying to get another 50. <laughs> <laughs> Huzzah, he says. There you go. Okay, we're done with the comments, Steve. Uh before we go, two more things I want to address as quick as we can. Number one, give a teaser for what everyone can expect on episode two, which is going to be a week a week from today, next Tuesday. Um, 
I, I number two, no, episode number two would be my favorite episode, except I like episode number three better. And unfortunately, I think episode four is the topper. So the reveal is designed to gain momentum, to add uh, more um, texture, uh, more details, more understanding, to unwrap this tag system in a way that people can see and appreciate what it is. Next week uh, is important because um, uh, how, how, if you want to submit cards, how do you submit cards? And is it, do we do anything different than, than the way you traditionally submit cards? Is it easier? Is it harder? What, what do you, as a card submitter, what do you do to me to make my life better? If I want to do business with you, how do I do it without incurring the pain of doing business with you? So you'll find us talking about that. Uh, you're going to understand about our supplies, why we use the supplies we do, how the supplies are distributed, why they're distributed the way they are. You'll understand what, what you need to do to respond to the receipt of those uh, supplies, how we assist you in, in identifying your submission, how we track that submission. Um, so you will see some of what we call the differentiators, the things that we do differently uh, than the industry. And um, I think that, that the people in, in, in the audience will appreciate it and, and like it. Um, let me continue because you'll probably ask me about episode three and, and what, what, what. Well, well you, you can continue, but I would ask you about episode three at the end of episode two, but go ahead. Okay. Uh, well, ask episode two guys to tell you about three because they may see it differently. Um, so uh, to me, episode three kind of screams transparency. And um, I can't even imagine how many times I use the word transparency just tonight. And you're going to hear a lot more about transparency uh, ne uh, next week. But we're finally going to show you what does it mean when we say something's transparent? And you're going to see something, your viewers are going to see something, I can, I can guarantee you, they have never ever seen before, and I would venture to guess they have never even imagined before. Uh, it will be startling. And uh, four will show you how three comes about. Okay. Okay. Um, that's it. And then, of course, we'll talk about the future. And while I want everyone to be excited about what TAG is doing now, and I, I tell all the guys here, matter of fact, you'll hear them all say this, I'm sure, in each episode. We only have one thing to do. Execute. That's it. All the bullshit, the talk, the this, that means nothing. Everything means one thing. Execute. Yeah. And so when when we're done talking to you about the things that we can do that we are executing i want to talk about the future because i'm hopeful that by that time we've earned enough respect from your audience and enough confidence from your audience that they won't see when we our vision of the future as bluffery as as hyperbole they'll, they'll say these guys they can do it so i, I mean that's, that's the future yeah i i have no doubt uh, based on what i saw uh, again, from being at TAG uh, back in, in March. Uh, Lucky K, great interview. Thanks for all the info. I'm looking forward to grading with you. That's great, Lucky K. 
And last comment, I'm gonna. I'm not even gonna look at. I can't stop looking at them. But here's a here's a comment from Jordan Rivers. He says, "Will you have the same grading? Will you, will you have the same scale of grading on the bigger companies, or will Probe Scene One Two Three keep getting tens on his cards? Should be eights. What he's insinuating here is that some people get favorable grades from certain grading companies. That's uh, that's what he's insinuating. How do you how do you guarantee that there will be no favoritism? Uh, given to any particular submitter? Well, uh, from my perspective, the the ultimate guarantee is my word that that's never going to happen. But for those who don't know me, the better guarantee is that our system won't allow it. There is no person in this facility that can access that system and alter that technology-driven grade. It is a 100% uh, automated system. So... Um, we get a card and to you, to everybody, a card is a card. To us, a card is a widget. It comes in. Um, we don't differentiate, can't differentiate. Uh, there's no need to differentiate. It is what it is. Um, we limit the, the cards that we're grading, the type of cards we're doing 2000 to present. You'll hear all about this in the future episodes. Um, uh, rather than, than take some things that we don't do as precisely, uh, and say, it doesn't matter, they'll never know. We just tell you right up front, we're not ready to grade that yet. Yeah, that's good. Good good, good way to do it. Just but, be but, but Jordan, Jordan, I don't know that any other company uh, has favoritism or influence. I have no idea. I, I prefer to think they don't. Uh, but I will, do, I will tell you, it is impossible for that to happen here. The system is designed. It, it cannot happen. Okay. Last question. Punt, pass, click. Do people want transparency or the highest resale? I've never seen a collector, flipper, or investor send back a 10 because it's really a nine. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. I think that two, there's two thoughts in that uh, comment. The first thought is that a 10 is better than a nine and people would rather have a 10 than a nine, no doubt. The other thought is, does transparency add to the resale value of the card. So I would suggest if I was going to spend uh, $30 on a card, I might be less likely to care about why it's a, a nine. If I wanted to spend $30,000 on a card, you can bet your ass I would want to know all of the details and all the transparency on why that card is graded the way it is. And it enables people to build their collection within a, a industry standard grade. They could say, Okay, this is the standard. I have a, a custom set I'm putting together. It's all nines and tens. Our system allows somebody to put the set together and, and better define what that range is between nines and tens. Um, when you're selling a card and you're selling a, a, a card that's an um, X grade on a one through 10 scale, I, I'm going to suggest you get more money if it had the same nine or 10 in, for the industry standard, but that when the card is tagged with the tag grade and you see that you're at the higher end of that scale, I'd be willing to bet you that card will sell for, for more money than the card that's at the lower end of that scale. We've seen it already. Some people will say, boy, 52 tops mail is a good example, but there are others where people say, I just want the card and I'm buying the card. And other people will say, I know that card's graded X, but I'm gonna, I, I wanna pay less than the last card that sold at that value because that card's clearly off center. So yeah. uh, 
investors have their own appetite for for the cards but but information i've never seen anybody say i don't want to know more about what i'm doing yeah it's one of the biggest complaints in the industry now is that people don't know why they get the grades that they get so i think it's very important and really the comment that punt pass click makes it it insinuates that we're better off being kind of just stupid and dumb about the cards that we're getting. And it's better that we don't know what we actually have, because if, as long as we get the 10, then we're going to get more money for it, which means we're taking advantage of our customers, of the people buying the cards from us. Yeah, but I think for, for Punt Pass Click, that's short-sighted because eventually so many of the cards are going to be graded 10. The value of a 10 itself is going to be lost. But in our case, if it's a, if it's a high 10 and we can distinguish why it's a high 10, you've reinvigorated that 10 market. Um, the, uh, uh, if one through 10 is a value and, and you differentiate it by one, two, three, four through 10, then there's no reason why nine through 10 wouldn't be a value. If you differentiated it by nine, nine, 10, nine, 20, nine, 30, nine, 40. And there's no reason that nine to nine, 10 wouldn't be a value if you different differentiator. If you if you could differentiate 901, 902, 903. So we're not doing anything outside the industry standard. We're allowing the consumer the opportunity to know where they lie. Wait till you see our population report. I'm not going to tell you what's on it, but it lends itself to this discussion uh, greatly. And let me say one other thing. Uh, if you want to, if, if anyone wants to be blind, deaf, and dumb about uh, what's in their card, they don't have to scan the QR code and get the detailed image and grading report and see all the detail. It's not like mandatory. Anybody can still buy the card. It's only, the information's only there for those who want it. But what, what uh, Punt Pass and, and Click just said to me is that, wow, the buyers may want this information that the sellers prefer they not have. Exactly, yeah. So I, to those who want to take advantage of the buy side, great. Yeah. Uh, to the buyer, uh, for every card that's sold, keep in mind there's a buyer. Yeah. Okay. We're we're going to wrap up. Uh, Tony's cards, I see your question. That's going to come up in episode five when we discuss the future. So um, let's, uh, let's wrap this up, Steve. Any final comments to the audience before we end this episode? I would we like two hours in. Just like to thank everybody for uh, joining us. Uh, come to our website. That's uh, 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 taggrading.com. Uh, check us out. We will be adding content every week, but we're not putting things out in too much detail before each episode. Um, and um, uh, you can read about the management or board and, and various other things. But I thank everybody for being here and showing the interest in Jeremy to you a, a special thanks because uh, this is 10 years, over 10 years uh, that I and the team have been working. And this is a real highlight for us in our lives. And you've made this a very special day. Thank you. Oh, it's, uh, it, it's an honor for me too. As I mentioned, I was very impressed when I got to come down and meet everybody, see the, see the, the facility, the technology with my own eyes. I've, I've been there, I've seen it. So I wouldn't have had you on if I thought that this wasn't a, a serious, uh, uh, you know, company, a company that's going to seriously better the hobby uh, in time. So 
congratulations to you on getting to this 10 year point and being ready to launch and to the audience thanks everybody for tuning in we've had very strong viewership all the way through so thank you guys a couple of couple of uh just parting comments from the crowd punt pass clicks clicks as thanks for answering the question steve lee haskins great show we'll be watching the next episode this topic is very interesting to me to see how a commercial development of this occurs kevin james thanks guys great episode brendan ryan top-notch guest and host thank you brendan francesco says will there be any upcharging or gouging like we're not gonna we're, we're not, no more questions like that right now uh we're gonna we're gonna end this uh whiz collectible appreciate you sharing this with us tonight and for the hard work over the past decade okay that's it everybody thank you for tuning in steve thanks for joining me our question is is with collectibles from wisconsin let us know Wiz. let us know are you from wisconsin he got, that, he got that Wisconsin logo there. That, that uh, he and I have a lot in common with me being big red because we have a big rivalry there. So there you uh, go. Raul says that slab is straight fire, and we're gonna get a much like Steve deliberately hasn't shown us that slab today. That's coming on episode two a week from today when we will see that slab in its entirety. Okay, that's it, everybody. Thanks for joining. No show on Saturday, but I will be back. Yes, Wiz Collectibles is from Wisconsin. There you go. Uh, okay. I will be I will be back next Tuesday with it might not be Steve, it'll be someone else from the from Tag uh, or more than one, but we'll figure that out and we'll be back next Saturday. Steve, thank you. Thanks, Jeremy. Appreciate Thanks, it. All right, bye bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free to play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.